and ready to rock and roll. This is Halacha 9, Chapter 2, Kiddush HaChodesh, Ra'uhu Bezdin Atzman Besoif Yoim Tisha What happens if the court themselves, they see the moon on the night of the 29th, the end of the day of, of the 29th? If the star hasn't yet come out, meaning that it's already nighttime and it's now the night that we call the 30th already. So the court can say, holy, sanctify the Rosh Chodesh. Why? Because it's still day. As we learned last time, you could only sanctify the new month, the new Rosh Chodesh, during the day the court can only do so during the day so here's an interesting situation where they are sanctifying it before the night of the 30th because they see it before the stars come out and therefore they are able to sanctify it since it is still day no i didn't mean this is very funny the baby worked nine to five if they saw it during 9 to 5, they sanctified. If they already closed the office, <laughs> if somebody comes in the next day and says, I saw it last night, then it becomes a... Uh, no, then, <laughs> then it works too. Then, then it's retroactive. Yeah, retro- yeah. retro- yes. Okay. If they saw it at night, so this is the 28th, 9th, and it's already nighttime, so we call that the night going into the 30th. After two stars have come out, so now it's too late. They cannot sanctify it at night. They have to wait till the next day. So what they do is the next day, they take two two of the judges, two other judges, join one of the three to form a court. And then, so so let me explain. So the court saw it. That means three people saw it. But you need to have two witnesses and you need to have a court. And a court is three judges. And so we need a total of five people. So again, So you take two other dayanim, two other judges, and, and one from this court of three that saw the moon. And the two other judges that saw the moon, they are now going to testify in the presence of the three and sanctify it. And the, and the judges, the three judges, are going to sanctify the new moon. So what we're seeing here from the Rambam is that we need to have this protocol of two witnesses and in the presence of the judges. And this is how it has to be done, even though the court themselves saw the moon. They can't just say, oh, we saw it. It's done. No, we need the ritual of two witnesses and the three judges. It you, is work yeah. as well. Otherwise, they would have to work all night <laughs> in the home protect their status. Yeah. yeah. Yud. If you have the court that sanctified the new moon, the court sanctifies the new moon, whether they made, did so by mistake, or they were led astray, or they were forced even to sanctify it, it remains 
sanctified. And this the Rambam already told us up front in the previous chapter when he said that by the Torah law you don't have to, the, the judges don't have to be so meticulous about the testimony because even if they made a mistake based on the testimony it's still going to be sanctified. So there's really the stakes are not that high so to speak. So the Rambam's telling us again if they made a mistake it doesn't matter what's done is done. And everybody, all Jews, we have to establish the Yom Tov, the holiday. So Sukkot is going to be on day 15 from when the court said is day one of the month. Even though the way they got to say that that day one was a mistake, and really the next day was supposed to be Rosh Chodesh, doesn't matter. Once they establish it that way, you can't say, hey, the court made a mistake. I'm going to celebrate the holiday when I think it's going to, supposed to be. doesn't work that way. You follow what the court did, even if they themselves admit that it was based on a mistake. Even if this one great rabbi thinks, ah, I know the court made a mistake. I'll just do the holiday my way. No. He has to rely upon them. The matter is given over, it's entrusted to the court. Ah, this is a great line. The same, ent- the same entity, which is God, the same, the same one who commanded us to keep the holiday, he commanded us to rely on the court. Because it says in the verse that they will call them, referring to the court, as days of holy convocation. So, just to repeat what the Rambam says before I get into a little editorial over here, which is, the Rambam is saying, and, and this actually happened, the story in the Talmud in Tractate Brachot, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Gamliel, a very famous story, where Rabbi Yeshua said that Rabbi Gamliel made a mistake and in the calendar, and really, Yom Kippur is supposed to be on a different day. And Yom Gamliel insisted he has to follow. It's a whole long story. And the Rambam is laying this down as the law. And... Sorry, can you shut off the, the ringer there? It's just a little distracting. So, the, 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 the editorial that I want to give over here is that sometimes when it comes to religion and Judaism, we can forget what it's all about. We can forget that this is something that God commanded us to do and get caught into a detail and forget that God is asking us to do this and we should do it on God's terms, not on our terms. Right? We, start, we, start to, um, we start to take on a... The laws start to take on a life of their own outside of being a commandment of God. And so here's a perfect example where a guy is saying, I know when the real day of, of Rosh Chodesh is. I know when the holiday is supposed to be. I'm not going to listen to the court. And he can't accept the law that says, even if the court made a mistake, it's still, it's still, it's still the Rosh Chodesh. That's still the holiday. He just can't accept it. Because he, he saw that there wasn't, was no moon. Or the moon couldn't have been there that night. And so the Rambam has this wonderful line over here. He says, don't have to be more religious than God. You don't have to be more observant than the Torah. The same Torah that told you you need to celebrate the holiday is also telling you that this is how the holiday is made. 
Don't forget who made the law and don't get caught up in your own your own bias of what the law should be. Right? It's like the same thing like you say. We, we create God in our image. We, we, we think of God as, as the way we would like imagine that God should be. That, that, that doesn't, just because we think God should be a certain way, it has no bearing on what God really is, of course. And so similarly, we shouldn't impose our bias on the law. And so here's a person with a bias, and, and the Rambam is telling him, relax. God is the one who makes, makes a made up these holidays for us. Just follow the way he said it. Don't, don't, don't be stupid. Don't, be, don't, don't, uh, f- don't go astray after your own bias. I think that's a really beautiful you know, there's teaching. One, one could understand one step ahead that God had command, commanded us to stay as a community and uh, not devi- basically even you know follow the community and uh, n- not deviate from it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so yeah. Practical, just through a practical part of that. Once that error is made, does that throw off the calendars and the other things from then on? What happens? It will. It will get corrected. It will, it will correct itself the next month, right? You know, if, if it was done too early or too late, you know, the moon is going to come the next month and, and you know, so it will get corrected. That's, that's why it's not the end of the world if, if they made a mistake. But I think Iran makes a great point that it makes a lot of sense to us that if each guy is saying, oh, I think Rosh Chodesh is today, I think it's tomorrow. I mean, the whole, the whole beauty of Jewish community is that we all have the same calendar, you know? So that's a great reason, but... As we know, the, re- the, to- the reasons of the Torah are wonderful, but ultimately the Torah is beyond reason. And as the Rambam is saying, you know, uh, have some humility in front of the author of the mitzvah. That even if it doesn't make sense to you, you accept it. This is how, this is how God said it should be. Uh, but I think that's a great point. That makes a lot of sense that we need to be in sync. Our calendars need to be in sync. And I want to say something else. So this is, is, is in continuation what I, what I said in response to Iran's um, question, which is, and I'm going to give it away. Now you don't have to listen to the podcast, Iran. I'm going to give it away, is that it's actually central. central. So Iran's co- question, to return to the Joe Schmo podcast, Iran's question was, why do we need to have this whole system where people come from all over to testify? Let the court appoint two professional moon witnesses tell them exactly where to stand and they'll take care of it why do we leave it to the jewish people and the answer is i believe it's exactly the point it needs to be left to the jewish people not to the court and as i explained at length in last class every jew within striking distance can look up at the moon and is is aware of this idea that that the the new moon is coming they're looking around. Did I see it? Did I not see it? I'm going to go testify. And any Jew, Joe Schmo from Kfar Saba, can come and testify. He doesn't have to be appointed. He doesn't have to be a scholar. He doesn't have to be anything. He comes and he, determ- he is determining when Yom Kippur is going to be and when the, the high priest is going to go into the Holy of Holies. And by the way, if the, if the high priest goes in on the wrong day, it's a death. there's a death sentence associated with that. And so it's 
if, if it was a point if the judge is appointed to two witnesses to be in charge of this it would become like you know it, you would lose the idea that this is a a process that is being done by the jewish people everybody and i they mentioned in the last class that the court above you know the, in heaven the heavenly court comes to god and says when is rosh hashanah and god says to the angels the the uh, the heavenly court the angels of the heavenly court don't ask me you have to go to the terrestrial court you have to go and see in jerusalem what did they decide over there when is rosh hashanah when is rosh hashanah going to be and there's a very important point here that also gets to the idea that it's not a perfect system right we live in silicon valley we were always looking to create the perfect system the perfect computer, the perfect app, the perfect algorithm. Everything can be fixed. We just have to write some new code. And we're going to fix it. There's a bug in the system. We'll fix it. We'll update it. Here is like Dafka, specifically, to make it, to make it um, susceptible to error. It's like, why make it susceptible to error? Just, you know... And, and I think that's actually the point. It's supposed to be susceptible to error because this is the whole thing that the human being, the Jew, is the one who is sanctifying the time. That's the Chiddush. And that's what the angels couldn't understand. They said, how are you giving it to human beings to do this? God should be deciding when Rosh Hashanah is. The human court with the, with the two guys, the two schleppers coming and saying, we saw the moon, we're not sure, it was a cloud or this. Yeah. And in fact, it's done in such a way that the court can make a mistake. And that's how it's sanctified. That's what makes it holy. The very fact. And it gets to really the essence of, of all the creation of the human being. The, and the, and the, the angels didn't, didn't understand it. Why would you create a human being that can make an error? And God says this is the whole beauty of the human being. The fact that he has free choice. The fact that he can make a mistake. The fact that he's imperfect. That is the greatest accomplishment when the human being accomplishes something because he is susceptible to error we have a prayer uh rosh Hashanah kippur coming up where it's a whole long poem about um how these they're, they're, the angels are so lofty asher secho, it's called asher secho, and it goes on about the angels and how lofty they are and they're praising god with their lofty beautiful singing but what does it say avisa sihila but you, God, you want praise. Avisa sihila. Avisa, you desire tehila. Praise from who? Mikrutse mata. From those who are made from the earth. Who are made from the, from the dust. You're not interested in our prayers of the angels. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You want to hear from the Joe Shmo. <laughs> you want to hear his praise. Wow. That's unbelievable. That's such a it's, it's so flattering, and and so beautiful. So, this these halachas, I think, actually bring out something so central to all of creation, the creation of the human being, to all of Judaism, to all of Torah. The fact that it's it's given in a process there that is susceptible to error, and as we just read, that's how it's sanctified. And we heard that there could be a criticism of this, or it could be somebody who says, "I don't get, I don't get it." I don't accept that. And the Rambam says, tells, tells him, well, you don't, get the whole, you don't get the whole picture. You don't get what's going on over here. 
and um, and it's interesting that that this point of Ju- in Judaism of life comes out in these halachas specifically, and it's the first halacha, as I mentioned, in the first class. It's the first mitzvah that we learn that that God gave us while we were still in Egypt. God gave this mitzvah, and he told and he told uh, Moshe, "Kazer kadesh, like this, you shall see the moon and and make it holy." So it's a central idea, and therefore it is placed in this mitzvah. And of course, it's so central because it's sanctifying time. It's sanctifying when is the holiday going to be. And the holidays, of course, are so central to to the Jewish calendar and to keeping the the Jewish people uh, who we are. And so I think it's so beautiful that it's set out in this way, which at first you look and say, hey, what's going on over here? It just seems very haphazard. It seems like it's susceptible to error. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Dafka. That's how that's how it's set up. Does this relate? Would this relate to the um, the animal soul being less or close to perfection than the spiritual soul, which is closer to perfection? Is that a, is that another way of looking at that? Yes, the animal soul exactly. Like you would say, what do we need the animal soul for? <laughs> Just have a godly soul, and everything will be wonderful. Mm-hmm. The animal soul makes complications. Ah, that's the beauty. The imperfection is the beauty. Like they say, you know, the, the cracks. Don't worry so much about the cracks. That's what lets the light, that's what lets the light in. All right, that's my editorial. Comments, questions, or we go to the next chapter? Isn't though our, our challenge on, on this plane that to seek or to seek out the godly plane that because the an, the animal one is so easy for is so easy for us to um, that's our reactive behavior that's our me first behavior that is all of those things and we're in the, the godly plane then we have to kind of go out how do I want to say this go out above and Above and be, above and beyond ourselves, in order to reach that, because the other the the, uh, the animal plane is so easy, and the other one, the other plane is uh, significantly more challenging. Exactly, but it's because of that challenge, the seeking of God, despite having the animal soul. That's the beauty of the creation of the human being. The angel doesn't have that. The angel is seeking God, but without being saddled and burdened with the animal soul and therefore it doesn't reach as high a level as the human it's our so-called handicap that actually propels us higher or gives us the opportunity it gives us the opportunity yeah it's not it's not automatic is it of course no you're right opportunity exactly we have to we have we have work to do yeah. Transcendence, Yeah. Of course, the easier the easier path would be the animal path. You know, you can be reactionary. You can go after idols. Right. You can do pretty much whatever you want to do. Right. And the the godly path means then there's 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 thought, there's restraint, there's consideration, there's respect, there's dignity. Oof. Yes, Oof. yes, yes. Oof. Oof. Exactly. No, I see 
I see a couple of uh, other points here. They're, they're basically the same point that you're expressing, but uh, from slightly different angles. One is to tell the the, the Bedin, the, the uh, because it's so important to when they decide, is it's okay to make a mistake for as long as you're within those boundaries. You don't, you're, you haven't seen because of it, okay? So that's also looking in from the, from the, the Dayanim, the Bedin, who they might think they've seen because they skewed the calendar or not, okay? So this basically gives them the freedom to make a mistake and still be, <laughs> you know, within the law. The, sec the second aspect is telling the righteous, the one who, you know, black or white, <laughs> Uh, you don't, it, you know, that's basically what your point is. That even when you know the white, don't be too... Uh, right. Yeah, it's okay. I, I gave this uh, responsibility to somebody else, and you need to follow their lead because it is more important to stay as a community than to be completely righteous yeah, yeah. Lose, and, lose the, and lose the crowd, lose the people. Yes. Okay, so there's, there's many aspects here. That Beautiful, are, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a humility, a kind of humility. Yeah. Humility, exactly. You reminded me of a, a saying that I heard from, uh, I read from Rabbi Dr. Tversky of Blessed Memory. He said, you're, you're, uh, he said he had a teacher in, when he was in school, he was a kid, teacher from the old country who spoke with an accent. He says, he would say to the kid after he gave a, an answer, an explanation, say, you're 100% right. Now I'll tell you where you're wrong. Right, you could be a hundred percent right and still be wrong. That's that's this character over here at the end. Ah, little nuggets you get from the Rambam. Okay, let's let's jump in and delve in a little bit to uh, chapter three of Kiddush Achoydish. We made it through two chapters. Congratulations, Aleph. Edim Shiroz Achoydish. You have witnesses. Who saw the new moon? So now we have a practical problem. I saw the moon, but by the time I get to the court, it might be too late. So what's the cutoff? So he says, if there's a day and a half or less, uh, I'm sorry, Laila Vayom is one day or less, then they, they go and they testify because they'll be there in time. But if there's more than that, they shouldn't bother coming. They're going to get there at 30th at night, which is already day 31. That's Even if they say we saw the moon on the night of the 29th, it's not going to have any relevance, as we learned last time. Once it's day 30 and we get to the night time, it's too late doesn't matter how many witnesses come and say that they saw the moon uh, the night before. Question. Yeah. It says here, Ben Makom Bo Din. It's a, a place that has a Beit Din. Is it the place that has the Beit Din? Like there's only one that can rule, which is the one in Jerusalem, you said. Excellent question. What if, what if there's other Beit Dins, like one in Yavne and one in this? Can you go to anyone? Or you have to go to the one in Jerusalem. 
Oh, let's see what the Rambam, let's see what the footnote says. The Rambam does not say a one-day distance from Jerusalem because after the destruction of the temple, the high court would sanctify the new month in other places. So there, there has to be one court that is doing the, the, um, the sanctifications. It was generally was Jerusalem, but after, after the destruction of the temple, it wasn't Jerusalem anymore. As you said, Yavne, and that's why the Rambam doesn't say Jerusalem. Do, do we know, like, uh, you know, in the 1100s, 1200s, 1400s, where it was? So it didn't go that far. So okay. I, I do remember reading that, the, that we were still doing Kiddush HaChodesh, even at times of Rabbanan Savurai, which is, um, okay. you know, in, in Bavel, there was a time where there was some conflict. They were doing it in Israel, they were doing okay. it outside of Israel, and there was a time of some conflict. We, had different, we did have different calendars, to your point of, of Jewish unity. Um, but I, I, it's not, the memory is not fresh of exactly when that was. So, um, but if I'm not mistaken, it's even after, according to some records, even after the closing of the Talmud, you still have this going on. Um, yeah. Okay, let's do one more halacha. Beis, Eidim Shiro Esachoydish. Witnesses who saw the new moon. Ah, this is a big halacha. This was Jonathan was asking, I think. Do we break the Shabbat? Do we hold court on Shabbat? And this question came up in one of the early classes. Are they going to hold court on Shabbat to sanctify the new moon? The answer is absolutely because even the witnesses who are coming will go and break Shabbat in order to come and testify. Normally we say you can only break Shabbat for three, for three, um, I'm sorry, you can only, you can only break Shabbat for like, you know, life and death for, for um, you know, to save a life. But here we're saying, you break Shabbat. Why do we know that? From the verse. means a set time. And any place where it says Moed, a season, that overrides the Shabbat. So the Rambam explains, we're, we're, we're not breaking Shabbat for Rosh Chodesh. That you wouldn't break uh, Shabbat to, to, to establish Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month. We're breaking Shabbat to establish the holiday, which is going to be influenced by when Rosh Chodesh is. So therefore, you're only going to do that, break the Shabbat, for the months where there is a holiday. Namely, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of Nisan, which is the month where we have Pesach. And Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, which is in about a month from now, which is the month in which we have all the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, um, where, we have, where we have Sukkot. I wonder if Moed refers specifically to to um, to Sukkot, not Rosh Hashanah. But here, interesting in the footnote, he points out that Shavuot is not mentioned here because Sivan um, is because Shavuot is not is not uh, based on based on Rosh Chodesh of that month. It's, it's counted by the Omer. We count from Pesach, we count 50 days. The 50th day is, is uh, Shavuot. 
ובזמן שבייס המקדש קיים, מחללין על כולן מפני קורבן מוסף שבחודש, חודש וחודש, שהוא דויכס השבס. Now the Rambam tells us that what I just told you before was only after the temple was destroyed. But when the temple was dead, so only then would there be a relevance for a holiday on, on these specific months, Nisan and Tishrei. But when the temple stood, there was a relevance to knowing when Rosh Chodesh was, every Rosh Chodesh. Why? Because there was a special sacrifice called the Karban Musaf, the added Karban, every Rosh Chodesh. Every first day of the month, there was a special sacrifice that was brought in the temple, and that overrides Shabbat. That sacrifice overrides Shabbat, and therefore they always broke the Shabbat during the times of the temple, if necessary, to establish the Rosh Chodesh, so that they could offer this Musaf, because that is also a Moed. Rosh Chodesh is also a Moed. By the way, they also lit fire uh, on Shabbat for the Musaf? Yeah, in the temple they, they broke the Shabbat for, uh, for the sacrifices, yeah. All right, well that concludes our, our Rambam for today. Does anybody have any questions or comments before we switch gears? Well, every uh, no, the, to the contrary, every Jew would go. Anybody who saw the moon would go. That's the whole point. So they would have thousands of people coming there. Yeah. Exactly. And we, we had the law that when they have two witnesses and everything is, is great, um, they, they, still would, they still would interview all the people who came. Okay. They yeah, didn't. So you know how it goes. Yeah. You're about to go, and I'm about to go, and we meet each other <laughs> at the intersection and say, oh, you're going? Okay, go. You, you go this time. I'll go next time. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, eventually it kind of... From the whole city, two people go out from multiple cities. Right, multiple right, right. <laughs> and, and I hope eventually we're going to get to the point that we know what exactly we should see in the sky, you know, when they have to, to, to tell us, that, to, to tell that we see the moon, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Be in, in some, somewhere in Rambam, yeah? He'll tell us what, what's supposed to be, yeah? Exactly. Okay, okay. Okay, now we're going to do our Hasidic uh, readings. So I reached out to my uncle, Rabbi Friedman in Tzvat, who wrote the book that we've been reading from, and I asked him if he can send me the doc so I could share it on the screen with my wonderful class, and he said, absolutely. And so I didn't get a chance to translate these, but I'm going to start translating it so we'll have the Hebrew and the English up there, or Yiddish and Hebrew for everybody. But in the meantime, at least we have the Hebrew. And not only we have the Hebrew, we have it at 200%. So let's see where we're up to over here. We are talking about ch Hasidic aphorisms on the topic of love for one's fellow, a very central feature of Hasidic philosophy and Hasidic life. So where were we up to? Okay, it looks a little different than uh, what I saw in the book, so maybe this is volume two, but here we go. Ein l'sha'ed. It, it, you cannot estimate 
You cannot imagine the depth and the length and the width of the love for one's fellow that the Baal Shem Tov bequeathed to the Jewish people. How did he do this? He did this through his students and his students' students. We, the Hasidim of Chabad, this is the previous Rebbe writing, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, he's saying that we received this divine inheritance through our leaders, the leaders of Chabad, to their generations. In other words, there's a special, what he's saying is that there, there was always this concept of Avat Yisrael, of love for one's fellow Jews. I mean, it's, it's in the Torah, so we had it throughout, throughout our history. But the Baal Shem Tov brought something new into the world, which is a type of love for one's fellow that, that is different, that is new. And he's saying that, that it's something unbelievable. It's something you can't imagine the depth of it, the length of it, the width of it. And that he bequeathed this through his students and his students' students to the Jewish people. And then he, he concludes that as Hasidim of Chabad, we received this special inheritance through the masters of Chabad. Let's go for another one. Avat Yisrael badarf der nemen ad hanefesh. That's a little Yiddish thrown in over here. That love for one's fellow has to take us. It has to permeate us. Has to grab us in the Hebrew. Litfos ad mitzvah hanefesh. To, to the, um, literally mitzvah hanefesh is the ringing out of the soul. But it has to really permeate, permeate us to our kishkas, you would say in the vernacular, to our kishkas. It has to be something that really, really, um, it's not just, you know, be, do a nice thing, you know, do the polite thing, be kind, be uh, charitable. It's more than that. It's something that really has to get to our kishkas to be there for one another. One more. Avas Yisroel. So this is from Hayom Yom. Hayom Yom is a book that the Rebbe put together of short sayings that he collected from his father-in-law's writings and, and, and speeches. So this, is all, this was also from Hayom Yom. And it says that love for one's fellow is for somebody that you never saw, you never met. And certainly somebody who lives in your vicinity, Ben Adascha was a part of your community that you have to have great love for them and i always say that the second one is actually harder because somebody you never met you can romanticize you can say they're wonderful people <laughs> i never met them but the people that you met you know they're just regular people and so it's actually a bigger challenge um that even people you know and you know that they have flaws and you know that they're not perfect you're able to the, the demand of chassidus is to have this incredible intense devotion and cure for every Jew. Any comment or question? This is very beautiful and very powerful. Do you mind PDFing this and uh, sending it to the group? <laughs> sure. Or at least people who understand Hebrew. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. With pleasure. With pleasure. All right. Well, great seeing you, gentlemen. 
have a great rest of the week we are gonna have uh we're getting close to the month of elul so it's important to increase in torah study and i hope we will see you again next torah class this is unconditional love yes unconditional so it's not article one section two (laughs) paragraph three sentence one Exactly. Exactly. It accept it accepts imperfection. But but the the zeal does the zeal have um, is that inherent that the zeal must be relatively pure. The zeal should be pure. I mean, right. you know, it's uh, 